We saw in John 10, verse 1 through 21, how Jesus contrasted himself uh, with all the false teachers and the Pharisees and the false religions. He called himself the true shepherd of the sheep. The true shepherd of the sheep. And he called all other religions and all other false teachers thieves. And he called them robbers. Now there's a difference between a thief and a robber. The thief is the one who he comes to you looking like he's a friend, but instead he's a foe. That's the thief, right? He steals from you while you don't realize. In other words, he lures you in with a very great message. He tickles your ears, and then he steals your wallet <laughs> without you knowing. That's the thief, right? Then you have the robber. The robber is the one who comes, and he forcefully puts a gun to your head, and he takes from you in broad daylight. And Jesus says, I am the true shepherd. All others, every single other religion is a thief and a robber. Every single other false teacher is a thief and a robber. So here Jesus is very clear that he is the shepherd and everybody else has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. They jump over the fence. They don't come through the gate. They jump over the fence and they steal the sheep. They jump over the fence and they come and destroy the sheep. But he, however, is the shepherd, the true shepherd, and he has come to give them life. I love the idea that in the Old Testament, we saw last week how the Jews believed that God was their shepherd. Didn't David pen, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then Jesus comes and he says, I am the true shepherd. He was claiming to be God to them. In other words, he is separate from all other religious voices and false religion and false gospels, including Mormonism. He is separate from Christian science. He's separate from the prosperity gospel. He separates himself from the self-help gospel that teaches your best life now as if. He separates, him, separates himself from positivism and from liberation theology, from the nation of Islam, from universalism. All of those have come to steal to kill and to destroy the sheep. Now, the religious leaders who promote these fraudulent versions of the gospel do not come to you through Jesus, the true shepherd, the gate, but they climb over the wall to get to you. They come in sheep's clothing. They come a different way. They don't come through the pure gospel where the cross is God's son saving you from God's wrath against your sin. That's not the gospel they preach. They come to you in different voices, in different ways, with different messages. For instance, Christian science and Scientology, they'll come to the sheep through humanism. The power of the mind. 
Mind of a matter. That's how they come to the sheep. Kabbalah comes to the sheep through spiritualism. You have the prosperity gospel and the name it and claim it and frame it movements. They've come to the sheep through a form of pantheism. Employing the laws of attraction. Have you ever heard of the laws of attraction? Money cometh to me now. <laughs> You've all heard that, right? Pantheism, laws of attraction. You'll find all of that in the book called The Secret. Totally rooted in pantheism. Not the gospel. It's not about the cross swallowing up God's wrath against your sin. No. It's about the laws of the universe, the laws of attraction that you can employ. Then you have the hypergraced gospel. The hypergraced gospel, which is the God is only love. Don't teach judgment. God is only love. Even if He's not your Lord, He is still willing to be your Savior. That has come through universalism. The hyper gospel did not come through the gate. Jesus, who said, deny yourself. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. No, they don't teach that. It's not lordship salvation. It's just believe. He's not Lord, just make Him Savior. That has come through the gate of universalism. Then you have the nation of Islam. And that has come through a combination of Islam, a gate of Islam and liberation theology. Liberation theology has come through the gate called Marxism. The NRA, the New Apostolic Reformation, with all of their prophetic utterances, has come to the sheep through Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a belief that they possess a higher knowledge, an extra-biblical higher knowledge. Here's the Bible, but God spoke to me another word for you. Uh, it's an extra voice. It's an extra-biblical voice, a knowledge which is exclusive to them. God spoke to them about you. That's the New Apostolic Reformation not Jesus. The Bible says in times past, God spoke to us through His prophet, His prophets. But now, He speaks to us through His Son, Jesus. And Jesus is what? The Word made flesh. Jesus is the Word made flesh. So when we go to the Word, we are hearing Jesus. When we submit to the Word, we are submitting to Jesus. When we obey the Word, we are obeying Jesus. That is the voice of God. That is Jesus speaking to you and I. Then we have positivism and the word faith movement, which has come to sheep through Marcionism. Can everybody say Marcionism? I want you to remember that because I want you to look it up yourself. But Marcionism is an ancient heresy where they believed that Marcion, this man who gave the church a tremendous amount of money, he was a very... Um, charismatic man, and he started building churches based around the idea that God is good. However, he defined good his own way. Good is only all those things that appeals to me. Good is only all those things that satisfy my desires. Therefore, if God is good, then all these desires I have is what He wants to ha see fulfilled. God exists to see me succeed in all of my dreams, visions, and desires. My, uh, what do they call those boards, Tina? Uh, vision boards. Whatever I can come up with. That's Marcion. So Marcion, what he did was, he said that the God of the Old Testament is a really cruel God. 
The creation, creator God is cruel. He's bloodthirsty. But Jesus in the New Testament, He's loving and He only loves. He is a better God than the Old Testament God. And therefore what they did is He created a Bible with only all of the most positive scriptures He could find and all the other scriptures He threw out. So basically the only New Old Testament scripture He had was, you know, for I know the plans that I have in have for you and they to bless you and to prosper you, not to harm you. That's about the only verse he had. <laughs> and then in the New Testament, he threw away the book of James. He threw away anything that didn't seem positive. It's positivism, the word faith, which has come to the sheep through Marcionism, making statements like, quote, if it's not good, it's not God. If it's not good to me, it's not God. <laughs> you see, they make statements like this. If it's not positive, it's not God. That is ancient Marcionism. But I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to show you that all these voices come to the sheep, but not through self-denial, not through Christ. He says, if you want to come through me, you have to deny yourself. He says, if you want me to save you, I have to be Lord, not Savior, Lord. But no, these are the ones, they come through what I mentioned, spiritualism and pantheism and the laws of attraction and liberation theology and Islam and Gnosticism and Marcionism. But as bright and as glamorous and as some of these may seem, as helpful and as hopeful as these messages may sound, Jesus said, they are thieves. These messages have come to steal, kill, and to destroy you. That's what these voices are here for. They are not here for you to be shepherded. They are here not for you to be pastored. They are here to take from you. And after this warning from Jesus, the Apostle John picks up the narrative from where Jesus ended and uh, uh, at an important Jewish festival. Jesus walks into this Jewish festival, and this is where John now starts his narrative. And in this next set of statements by Jesus, we see Jesus teach what we know as the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of grace. And uh, you'll find the doctrines of grace here in Jesus' teaching. Now, we call them the doctrines of grace because we have systems we have put them into some kind of system so that we can understand them better. But pick up on how Jesus teaches this. In verse 22, it says, At that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, as it is right now, and Jesus was walking in the temple area in the portico of Solomon. Now, what was the portico of Solomon? What was the portico of Solomon? Our goal here at Christ Nation is to make sure that as we walk through the book of John and we exegete every verse, that we will actually understand what we're reading. So I don't know if you've done this, but since we started in the book of John, which feels like it was 12 years ago, how long have you been in the book of John? Anybody know? Okay, maybe six months. Six months. And we're walking through the book of John because we would like to have an all-encompassing 
picture of what God is saying to us within the context of that conversation. Instead of fishing a verse from here and fishing a verse from there, putting them together and creating our own narrative. And so as we walk through the book of John, what I've done is I started reading the book of John from the beginning all the way through to where we are. So I do it in one setting, and I really want to encourage you to do it. I think as we have studied every chapter and every verse, things will really come to light to you in a big way. It's actually tr pretty intriguing because there's an accumulative effect within understanding how Jesus was developing the revelation of God and of Himself all the way from the beginning to the cross. Because the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're very historical, but the book of John is very theological. And so here the Bible says, John saying that Jesus uh, participated in this feast called the Feast of Dedication. Now the Feast of Dedication is what? It's also called... It's what? I uh, know, almost. <laughs> Festival of Lights. And that's, it's got a third name you probably know better, is Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. So here Jesus is at Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights or the Feast of Dedication, which took place in Jerusalem. Why in Jerusalem? Because that's where the temple was. It was winter. It was this time of year. And Jesus was walking in the temple area in the portico of Solomon. But what, is, what did that look like? You see the temple is right in the middle. And around the temple you have the courtyard. And part of the courtyard is Solomon's portico. It is made up of all these pillars. And it has one side open which faces inward toward the temple. According to Josephus, Solomon's porch was a double columned porch about 23 feet wide, and the columns were about 40 feet tall. Now you might ask, well, who, who is Josephus? He is one of, us, one of our most reliable ancient historians that lived right at that time. And so he said the porch was very impressive. He claimed that the pillars were made with white marble, with cedar panels for a ceiling. So you might ask, well, what was the Feast of Dedication that Jesus was attending all about? What is the Festival of Lights all about, or Hanukkah? Well, it begins during the time period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There were 400 years there of silence, and this is when this took place, when Antiochus Epiphanes became the ruler of the Greek Empire. And here is an image of Antiochus Epiphany, and, and there are many other images of him because they still have coins. They have uh, actual coins that has his face on it. Antiochus, like Hitler, like Nero, like many different pharaoh, like many different rulers, were bent on erasing the Jews from the face of the earth. Antiochus Epiphany hated the Jewish people and their faith. For instance, he murdered the high priest, Ananias, and then he slaughtered 40,000 Jews in Jerusalem. 40,000. 
Antiochus then dedicated the Jewish temple to Zeus, after which he destroyed all the scriptures he could find. They burnt all of their parchments. And then he forced the Jews to participate in his heathen worship of the pagan gods. And then to put a final blow to Judaism and the temple of God, what he did was he took a pig and slaughtered that pig right on the altar inside of the temple. There was a family called the Maccabean family, and they were from the priestly line of Aaron, and they led a revolt against this evil ruler, Antiochus. And uh, as they led this revolt, led by the son, Judah Maccabee, uh, they, they won and they had victory over this mighty, the mighty forces of Greece. And after their victory, they started cleaning up the temple. And after cleansing the temple, they had this dedication to the Lord as they dedicated the temple back to God. And now, since then, every single year, they have what they call the Feast of Dedication, reminding themselves of how God was with them to take back the temple and overthrow Antiochus Epiphany. So that's how this festival came to be. And that happened just before Jesus' time. So here Jesus is attending the Festival of Lights in remembrance of God's miraculous victory that He gave them over Antiochus. And even to this day, they celebrate Hanukkah. Verse 24, The Jews then surrounded Jesus and began saying to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So imagine, He's walking up and down the portico of Solomon, all those high pillars, and the Pharisees and the Jews are at Him again, questioning Him. How long will you keep us in suspense, Jesus? If you are the Christ, just tell us. Jesus answered them, I told you. I told you what? I told you I am the Messiah. Everybody's been telling you I am the Messiah. The prophet John has been telling you that I am the Lamb of God. Come to, keep, to remove the... Uh, the uh, I am the, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Everybody's been testifying of me. Yet you do not listen. Jesus answered them, If I told, you, I told you and you do not believe, the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. Again, Jesus did not perform miracles in order to give people a more pleasant life or more comfortable and convenient pain-free life. His miracles testified that He was the authentic Messiah. That's why He performed miracles, to authenticate his deity. Jesus is saying to them that the miracles you saw ought to be sufficient testimony to you of who I am. The question is why? It doesn't matter how many prophets affirm me. It doesn't matter how many miracles affirm who I am. Why will you not believe is the question. The world stands at the same place today. I mean, why will the Jews not believe? I mean, it's getting so hard to be a Jew these days when you consider just the miraculous prophecies or the prophecies miraculously fulfilled by Christ. It's very difficult 
to look at the story of Jesus and listen to the clarity of the message and still say, I still just don't believe. So Jesus is saying that to them. The miracles you saw me perform ought to be sufficient testimony for you. You should, you should need no more further evidence to prove that I'm the Messiah. However, in spite of all these miracles Jesus performed, they still would not believe, but there was a very good reason as to why they would not believe in Him. That reason why the Pharisees would not believe in Him back then is the same reason people will not believe in Him today. And Jesus is about to explain to us what that is. He says in verse 26, But you do not believe. Given you enough evidence, but you do not believe. Why? Because you are not of my sheep. Because you're not my sheep, therefore you do not believe. He did not say, because you do not believe, therefore you are not my sheep. He said, no, you are, you do not believe because you are not mine. I didn't come for you. This is what theologians call the doctrine of total depravity and the doctrine of unconditional election. Why the doctrine of total depravity? is because these sheep, even though they had sufficient testimony, even though they had sufficient light, to show them and to prove that this is the long-awaited Messiah, they couldn't see. You need light to see. And there was sufficient light to see, but they were blind. They couldn't see any of the light. Why could they not see? Because... Of sin. Doesn't the Bible say the light has come, but they rejected the light? Why? Because they loved the darkness. That's why. They love their sin so much they cannot see Jesus. Doesn't matter how much evidence you give them, they cannot see it. They have been blinded by their sin. They have been depraved. Better statement, better way of saying it is they have been radically corrupted by sin. Their spiritual capacity and ability to see Jesus for who He is has been marred. Their spiritual ability has, has been blinded. Their spiritual eyes have been blinded because of this sin, and they simply could not see the light no matter how bright it shone in their faces. It's total, they were totally depraved. They were dead in their sins. But this is also an example of Jesus teaching what theologians call the doctrine of unconditional election. Why? Because without any reason of their own, God has, before the foundations of the earth, chosen certain sheep to be a part of His fold. He said to these Pharisees, You do not believe because you are not my sheep. But my sheep hear my voice and they follow. I have sheep. And then He says, watch this. I have sheep in this pen. He was talking about Israel. I have sheep here, but I also have sheep from 
another sheepfold, which is the Gentiles. So when he said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow, he wasn't just referring to Israel. He was also referring to the sheep that he has that is from another fold, which is the Gentiles. So here he says, my sheep, the ones given to me, I call by name, and they come. Remember last week? He calls them by name. Fluffy! Fluffy comes running. Remember Q-tip? And then Q-tip comes running. Right? He calls you by name. Isn't that a beautiful message? He calls Dave, and Dave comes. But how does he call Dave? With the gospel. When the gospel goes out, you hear God calling you. You hear your name. That's me, God. I hear you. And I come. The Bible says, and they come. They always do. That's why you and I should have more confidence than ever before to preach the gospel to the unsaved. Because if God has His hand on that person, they will come. They will come to Him. The moment they hear the gospel, they hear the voice of Christ, and they come. Now, they might not just fall down on their knees right there and then, but they will come. Maybe a week later, maybe a year later, but they will come because they've heard the gospel. How many of you can testify of when you heard the gospel, you knew it was God calling you, right? And so here we see, these are the sheep Jesus refers to that He calls by name. They are those who hear His voice and then follow Him because they are His sheep. Now remember, they would have the sheep pen, which was a wall built with rock. And then they'll have one entrance. And every night, all the different shepherds would bring their sheep and put all of the sheep together into one pen. And then the shepherd would sit in the doorway. He would act as a door. The wolves could not come in because the shepherd, the good shepherd, he says, gives his life to protect the sheep, to save the sheep. But then in the morning, the shepherds would come together and they would stand outside of the pen, and the first shepherd would stand far away from the second shepherd, which would stand far away from the third shepherd. And the first shepherd would start calling, Fluffy! And then Fluffy would run out of the pen to his own shepherd. And then he'll call the next one, and the next one will come by name. And he'll call the next one, and the next one by name. But the rest, the sheep that are not his, they will not come until they hear their shepherd call their name. But if a sheep hears a voice of a stranger, the Bible says they flee, they run. So these are the sheep called by Jesus. The doctrine of unconditional election. They are those who hear His voice and they follow Him because they are His Jesus says that these are the ones given to Him by the Father. <laughs> Couldn't be clearer. These are the ones given to Jesus by the Father. Verse 27, He says, My sheep listen to My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. You see, this was not a question. 
It was a statement of truth. It was very clearly stated as fact. Those who are part of his sheep listen to him and follow him. The rest of the sheep dismiss him. The rest of the sheep, while he's calling, Fluffy, Fluffy, all the other sheep are just standing around. They dismiss him. They don't follow. They don't respond. So here are two things absolutely true about those who are part of his sheepfold. Here are two things absolutely true about those who follow Jesus, who are sheep of Jesus. Now remember, the Apostle Paul said, test yourselves to see if, in fact, you are in the faith. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. There's a test that I can't test you with. You have to test you with. Right? And I've often wondered, like, what is this test? How can I test myself to see if I am in the faith? Well, there are a few things, but here are definitely two of them. The sheep given to Christ, they don't just hear Him, they listen to Him. How many of you have ever told your child, you're hearing me, but you're not listening to me? There's a difference. <laughs> I heard you. Yeah, but you're not listening. Right? Jesus said, they listen to my voice, number one, and number two, they follow. Willingness, willingness, willingness to bow your knee to a scripture is the proof that you have received newness of life. This concept that his sheep follow him is also called by, the, by Bible scholars the doctrine of irresistible grace. So we saw how Jesus just showed the doctrine of total depravity. You do, not, you do not follow me because you are not my sheep. You cannot because you are not mine. Total depravity. Then he says, but then there are those that are mine, unconditional election. And then he says, they listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. They always follow Jesus, irresistible grace. When he calls, the sheep come. When the gospel goes out, they respond. And this should really, really give you so much confidence to share the gospel because it's not your voice that they follow. They hear Christ's voice when you share the gospel with them. And they will respond. They will respond, at least eventually. See, when he calls, the sheep come to Christ because they want to come to him, not against their will. They want to. Why? Because he works in them both to will and to do his good pleasure. Who works in them? To will it? God. Before God worked in them to will and to do his good pleasure, they did not want to. They had no will to do God's good pleasure. They had a will to do their own good pleasure. Right? Are you guys following me? Yeah. But God touches a person's will by His grace. The will of that person now suddenly desires the shepherd. In accordance with their will that's been touched by the grace of God, according to that will, they follow Christ. That is irresistible grace. One of the things people always say, well, like, yeah, I don't believe that God will force anybody. No, He doesn't. But He causes somebody to desire Him. Does the Bible not say He gives you the desires of your heart? Yeah. He touches your will. He causes you to will and to do His good pleasure. So God is working with 
in you your will and your desire, causing you to want Him and to desire Him. And therefore, when the sheep runs to Christ, it's because they want to do it. They desire to do that. Have you ever heard people go like, well, God will never go, God will never violate your will. How many of you are so just so thankful God violated your will? <laughs> Gave you a will and a desire for Him. Amen. What a stupid thing to say. I used to be his enemy. I used to be a hater of God. How did I suddenly start desiring him and loving him? Well, he intervened. And he birthed me anew. And I became a new creature with a new nature. Well, he'll never violate your will. Well, he just created a brand new nature within you. How does that, how does that fit? Right? I tell you now, millions of people in heaven for all eternity will glorify God day in and day out for violating their wills. But He didn't violate their will. He gave them a new one. That's actually what happens. And in the same way, none of those who belong to Him are forced to come to Him. They're willing to run. They do not resist His voice. That's the irresistible grace of God. Then on the other hand, none of those who run away from Him do so against their own will. They do so because they want to run away from Him. They do so because they desire to be away from Him. They desire to be in another fold. They love the voice of another and they hate the voice of Christ. They love darkness and they will do what they desire. They, they aren't, those, those who are not part of His fold aren't saying like, Hey, that's not fair. Why didn't He choose me to be part of you? No, they, they don't want to be. It's against their desire and it's against their will to be part of the fold of Jesus. They absolutely want what they have. They want this and they want their darkness. They want desire their blindness. Verse 28, And I give them eternal life, Jesus said, he says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. They will, when will they not perish? Never. never. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, watch this, who has given them to me. Okay, well, okay, so who, who decides which sheep is Christ's and which sheep is not. Who decides that? Yeah. Isn't that what it says right there? My sheep, my sheep, and the Pharisees weren't part of his sheep. My father, who has given my sheep to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them. No one can jump over a fence and snatch them out of the father's hand. This is known as the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. Some know it as the perseverance of the saints, but we like to call it the preservation of the saints. You see, saints are preserved to the end. Why? Because God preserves them. I like how somebody said, if I could lose my salvation, you know I would. 
Anybody who disagrees with that believes too much in themselves. Anybody who says, who disagrees with that, puts way too much stake in their ability to complete what God has started. If I could lose my salvation, I would lose my salvation. But thank God the promise is that as I was birthed into His family, I cannot be unbirthed out of His family. As I was born a brand new creature, I cannot become unborn into the old creature. When He gave you eternal life, He didn't put a contingency on the word eternal. Your life, I'll give you eternal life, and your eternal life is going to last for just about seven and a half minutes until you have your next bad thought, and your, your eternal life is only going to be seven minutes long. <laughs> it's like a, when He gave you eternal life, that's what it was, eternal. So my Father has given them to me. He's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, the preservation of the saints. You see, the Scriptures say God is the author and the finisher of what? Our faith. And you are saved by? For by grace you've been saved. How? Through? Okay, and God is the, the author and the finisher of that faith. He did not say that He authors your faith and then you have to finish your own faith. Just let your faith loose. No, it's God's faith, and He gives you faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that faith, not yours, it is a gift from God. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. Can we all say thank you, God, for faith? He is the author of that faith. And He is the finisher of that faith. You do not finish it. He finishes it. Hebrews 12, verse 2. The Bible also says in Philippians 1, 6, He who began a good work in you will also continue and complete it until when? The day of Jesus Christ. He who began that good work within you, He will also continue and complete that good work when? At the point of Jesus Christ's return. That good work that started in you, He is still completing and will continue to complete. Finally, in Jude 1.24, it says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault. Wow! Isn't that amazing? I just love the doctrines of grace. And I love to see how Jesus just taught them right there as He showed everybody how He was the sheep. I mean, He was the shepherd. And His sheep are those who, Christ gave, who God gave Him and none of them will go missing. They will hear Him and they will follow Him and they will be His sheep forever. Isn't that just a wonderful, wonderful way of explaining it? Jesus does such a fantastic uh, sermon right there in just a few words takes us months to explain the doctrines of grace, and He did it right there. Jude 1, 24, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you before His gl glorious presence without fault. Somebody said, well, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. Can I just quickly say something about that? Neither do I. I do not believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in the preservation of the saints, and those are two different things. To be preserved means you don't rot away. And then at the end of the day, you get served up on a golden platter because you're still good. No, that's not the way it works. To be preserved means when you are saved, He preserves you through, through the process of sanctification. You are constantly being sanctified throughout your life, being preserved until the end. And because He preserves you, that's why you look to everybody else like you're persevering. Man, that person's gone through a lot of pain, through a lot of hardships, and through a lot of difficult things in life. Yet they've never shaken their fist at God. They've just continued walking the walk, right? And they've held on to God all their lives. And you go like, wow, that person just persevered, persevered. No, God preserved them. God preserved them. He was continuing to complete the faith that He birthed within them initially. Amen. That's why you and I, otherwise in heaven, we'd be getting, we'd be getting like pats on the backs for, for persevering under stress and under pressure. <laughs> no, all glory is going to be going to God because He preserved you. That's why you persevered. But the idea that I got saved in 1942, lived like hell and then go to heaven, that's not the preservation of the saints. That's very different. Did you get something out of the word this morning? Amen.